We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Would love to meet you after the service. You can do that a couple of different ways. One, I'll be down front here after the service. Would love to meet you, hear your name, uh, how you came to be with us. Um, For anyone, I'd love to pray with you if you have anything you'd like to pray with as well here after the service. Uh, And then in our lobby, we have a connect table. And so we'd invite you to stop by there. You can fill out a connect card, uh, get more information on the church if you'd like, or you can go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect or scan the QR code that's behind me on the screen, and that'll take you to a landing page for a digital connect card and other ways to get connected with our church. So thank you for being with us. Hey, we have a, a really big announcement for next week. Um, beginning next week is uh, for, the, for next week through July 31st. So June 19th through July 31st, we're going to one service for the summer, all right? So people who lead volunteers are very excited about that. Right, we're going to one service for the summer, uh, next week's Father's Day, and then we'll be, um, our plan is to end that on the 31st. If something happens and we just need to go back to two, we'll consider that, but we're trying to move that through July 31st. So um, that service is not this service, right? So that means that if you show up at this time next week, come in and help production set up. All right, that's your goal. Come help work and serve. Sean is clapping because he's in charge of production. So come help him and do that. Um, But be here at our 1045 service for the rest of the summer. Uh, And then if you're a covenant member, just know um, because we'll be in one service, uh, it'll be pretty full. All right, most weeks it'll be very full in here. And so make sure you move towards the middle if you can, or you sit down towards the front if you can, take a nap on the couch if you can, and kind of just get closer here so that we have room in here. We'll have full kids ministries uh, every week moving throughout that time. And so um, we're excited about that. So thanks for making the adjustments for us with that. Uh, And uh, we think that that will be really good for us in various ways. And then the, the only other announcement that I have before we jump into our word today is that just as a reminder, today's my last Sunday to preach for a couple weeks. I'll be gone for the next four Sundays. Uh, the next four and a half weeks will be away on a mini sabbatical uh, and taking some time for rest and renewal. And so thank you for that time. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that with my family. Uh, pray that that is renewing and restful for us. Uh, and then I'll be praying for you. Know that you have six other pastors here who love you deeply, are very capable of walking with you, um, and so reach out to them if you need them, elders at EmmausKC.com. They would love to meet with you, care for you, um, walk with you that way. And so thank you to the pastors and to you as a church. Looking forward to that time. You can take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13, we're concluding our series uh, that we've been calling Foundations of Formation. And so today's week number four in this, just a short series on basically foundations of spiritual formation. What are some key aspects of the Christian life that would help us have some foundation of growth in our lives? And we've, we've talked about rest, and we've talked about work, and we've talked about prayer. And today we're going to talk about lament, which is um, a specific type of prayer. We're going to talk about lament today. It'll take us a few um, minutes, a little bit longer than normal to get into Psalm 13 because I kind of want to lead in and teach a little bit on what lament is and even share with you a little um, personal story uh, of mine just briefly um, as what it looks like to come to this place because this particular Psalm of Lament has meant a lot to me uh, within the last calendar year personally. Before we get to that, let's pray and then we will look at this text. 
And Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather into worship. We love you and we need you. We've confessed you, we've sung about you, we've um, stated our belief in you. And now we need to hear from you. And so speak to us through your word and, and bring our hearts into a place of trust in you through the practice of lament. Spirit, we need comfort and we need strength and we need endurance. Father, we need assured of our acceptance before you. And so would you give us that today? Would you bring us to a place of, of openness and honesty with you so that trust and faith may grow? Be with our brothers and sisters that we've sent out from our church around the globe, with the S family in South um, Asia, and with Sam in Abu Dhabi. Father, others that are in different places, Dylan in Niger right now. Father, would you be with them today on their Sabbath? Would you encourage them and give them rest? And would you give them fellowship with other believers? May they be renewed by the Spirit today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. None of us remember it personally, but all of us begin life the same way, crying. I mean, you're, you're born, and the moment you're born, you come into a world full of um, fear and anxiety and worry and unstableness. And, and you know this, coming out of your mother's womb, you come into open air, and you've never experienced this. And the first expression every one of us have after birth is to cry, right? to cry out, to gasp, to long for something, to cry. To cry, as one author says, is to be human. Or to be human is to cry, right? It's part of the human experience that we have. We've all experienced it and learned it. But for many of us throughout years of life, we've learned to suppress that. Or we've learned to suppress the, the tears and the sadness and the sorrow and the fears and the frustrations. We've learned to silence them and to push them down. We learn this as children when our parents don't receive our cries and our fears. They tell us to stop crying, to suck it up. Get, get over that. Just, just stop that. We learn this in, in, through coaches and through teachers and in workplaces when the, the idea is, hey, just push through. Just suck it up and push through. You, you, there's no room for that right now. Put aside your emotions, put aside your feelings, and just push through. And, and there's appropriate places where you just have to function. But there's a lot of things that happen in life that actually teach us to suppress our fears and our tears and our sorrows. We've learned that if we cry, um, man, it shows weakness. But there's no place in this world for fear, and there's no place for sadness and for tears. But what we can't change is what's actually going on on the inside. Right? We learn to suppress it. We learn to hide it. We, we learn to cope. Perhaps that's with substance. Perhaps that's with food. Perhaps your coping is work. Perhaps your coping is relationships, from one relationship to the next, trying to cover over the pain inside. Perhaps your coping is laziness. Perhaps it's leisure, shopping. We learn how to cope, and we learn how to ignore, and we learn how to suppress the sorrow in our souls. But it doesn't actually change the sorrow in our souls. It's still there. We have a sadness that we don't understand. We have anger that we don't want. We have depression that imprisons us. We have a joy that eludes us. And we have a faith that seems, to be, that seems to crumble under doubt often. 
If to cry is to be human, then to lament is to be Christian. If to cry is to be human, then lament, to lament is to be Christian. The scriptures actually give us a way to bring these sorrows and these sadnesses um, and these tears to the Lord in a productive way, in a helpful way, in a freeing way. And that way is lament. Now, as I lead into Psalm 13 for us here, I want you to understand like, perhaps the importance of this passage to me in the last year. This has been my personal prayer of lament for the last year. It's been a prayer that the Lord has led me on in in much freedom. It's actually been a prayer that the Lord's led me on um, through a season where um, I actually wanted nothing to do with Jesus anymore. Like where if I could have ran away from him, I would have. If I could have stopped believing in him, I wanted to. Like I told Tish, like I know I'm a Christian today, not because of what happened in November 1994, but because of what happened in the last year on a specific day when this passage is what the Lord used to draw my heart in and to go, I'm not letting you go. Like I wanted to be one of those in Hebrews when it says they left us for they were never a part of us. Like something in me wanted to not be a part of Christ's family. I had so much sorrow but he wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me run. He wouldn't let me get away. And this is one of the passages that he has used to draw my heart back to him. I'm 41 now. And in those 41 years, there's been many sorrows and many sufferings, much like many of you have had. I've known shame and I've known failure and I've known loss. My junior year of high school, two of my closest friends died, one of cancer and one in a car wreck, killed by a drunk driver. I've had several dear friends, um, and one student commit suicide. I've had fam- uh, half a dozen friends and family die in car accidents. I confessed my own sin, crying out for help and for care, only to be rejected by those that I cried out for hope and care to. I've been on staff at churches full of fighting and anger and slander and bitterness and accusations. I've had panic attacks and crippling anxiety and depression. I've been married now for 17 years um, to a woman who came from a family of much abuse and neglect. And in many ways, um, by many people, for many different reasons, she suffered much as a child. And the hurts of that still follow today as she seeks healing. We adopted a daughter when she was 14, and she came from a family of much abuse and hurt and neglect. And she still to this day pursues healing fully from that. We went seven years of infertility not thinking we could have children, adopted a daughter, two months later got pregnant. We're like, okay, here it is. And now seven and a half more years of infertility. We've suffered that feeling of why won't the Lord give us more children still to this day. When our son was born, he was born with multiple birth issues, told he would never be able to speak, born with club foot, requiring lots of casts and surgeries and and trouble and, and things that just caused a lot of challenges in life, a lot of exhaustion in life. And in the midst of all of this, I planted two churches I went through the exhaustion of getting two churches going and and growing and and caring for people and having the the counseling sessions and the burdens of of walking with people through their suffering. I came to a place a few years ago where it was just exhausting. 
I didn't know how I could go on to the next day. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't want to pastor. I had no joy in pastoring. I, I did it out of what I felt like was a calling, but not necessarily a, I'm happy to do this. I'm looking forward to doing this. There were moments of that for sure. But there were many days where I just sat in sadness and grief and depression and tiredness. And through this began to withdraw, began to withdraw from pastoring happy to hand off leadership to someone else, happy to hand off sessions to someone else, happy for the Lord just to quit the whole thing, allow me to quit the whole thing if he would. And he wouldn't. Within the last year, all of this came to a head at one point when now Patrick, Pastor Patrick, who wasn't a pastor at the time, he called me into his office at Midwestern Seminary. He's a professor there. He called me into his office, which caused its own kind of PTSD, Right, being called into the office of a professor at the seminary. I had a lot of flashbacks of that, bad grades and all. And so I go into his office, and I wish it would have been bad grades he was talking to me about. But we sat down, and he just began by caring for me. He addressed my sadness. He addressed my sorrow. He addressed my depression. He addressed my anxiety. He said the phrase, Josh, if you don't need a pastor for the health of yourself and your family, that's okay. We still love you. And he gave me permission to quit and to leave if I needed to. And in doing so, to still be cared for and loved. And then he said, but if you are going to pastor, here's some things we need to address. Like presence, be here, be all in. Your heart has to be here. You have to do something with the sadness, the sorrow in your heart that's like pulling you away. So I go, I call my wife, I tell her about the conversation. Patrick said, was talking about me and Tish. So I tell my wife, and my wife, uh, she goes, I, I need to hear this for myself. Right, not in like a rebellious way. In a, She literally said, my soul needs the warmth of his pastoring. And so she calls Patrick, hey, I'm coming to your office. Josh is coming with me. Patrick's like, oh my goodness, the pastor's wife is coming to my office. So Patrick calls his wife, get up here to my office, and he texted Matthew Barrett, and he said, they're coming. Matthew's like, who's coming? He's like, they're both coming. And uh, no one knew what was going on, but we went and we sat in Patrick's office, and Tisha said, please tell me what you told Josh. And then they just cared for us, and they wept with us, and they cried with us, and they prayed for us. And then that night, we had an elders meeting, and the elders did the same. And they cared for us, and they loved us, and they walked with us. And I left that elders meeting going, I want to pastor these people, this church. I want to do this. But the next day, a depression like I had never experienced set in. An anger, frustration. Like, found myself curled into balls in anguish, grinding my teeth, angry at something, and I didn't know what. Like, just a pain I had not ever experienced. And something just led me to Psalm 13. So I opened the scriptures and I began reading Psalm 13, which is the passage we're going to look through here in a moment. And the Lord began to lead me through learning lament. What is lament? Tina Lamont says this, God gives us permission to lay ourselves bare before him in pure honesty as we grapple with pain, as we grapple with longings and distress and tragedy and grief but he calls us to do this with confidence that God remains sovereign over all things. For if we did not have a conviction of God's faithfulness, we would not have hope 
and we would not need to lament. At the center of lament is trust in God's perfect character and his sovereignty. Mark V, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, V-R-O-E-G-O-P, Rokop. Mark V says this, lament is the transition between pain and promise, between complaint and confidence. Or for simplicity, let's use this definition. Lament is prayer and pain that leads to promise. It's prayer and pain that leads to promise. Lament asks us two questions. Where are you, God? (laughs) And if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Where are you? And if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Maybe you've asked yourself those questions. Maybe you've been afraid to. Lament is all over the scriptures. (coughs) Excuse me. We see in the Psalms, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. The psalmist asks things like, where are you and why haven't you done anything about this? We have the book of Lamentations, literally a whole book of lament. We have Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the prophet who's constantly lamenting. And he says this, God, you have deceived me. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I am a laughingstock. His complaint to God, you have seduced me, you have deceived me, you're stronger than I, and you win, and now everyone's laughing at me. Or Job, a story of suffering and of lament. If you remember in Job's story, he says this, why didn't you let me die when I was a kid? Why didn't you just kill me when I was a baby and save me from all of this suffering? Suffering and sorrow Despair and exhaustion, they find all of us. They even found the Apostle Paul. Paul talks about his suffering. He says, people, uh, he talks about people questioning his apostleship, people questioning his gospel, people questioning his mission to those people over there, the Gentiles. People ran him out of town, people stoned him. Ministry partners disagreed with him and left him. Demas, whom he had personally invested in and poured himself into, Demas deconstructed and left the faith. Paul was imprisoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. And all of this, he says, caused such strong anxiety that he thought it would be better just to die. He longed for death. And perhaps... We think we have better faith than Paul. We can face this a little bit better than he can. It's not going to lead me to the point of death, not going to lead me to the point of despair, the suffering of life. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget Jesus. The scriptures tell us that when Jesus was in the garden the night of his arrest, right, the night that he would be arrested, tried, and crucified, he's in the garden praying. Do you remember he he goes to the garden with his disciples? He leaves them, asks them to pray for him, and then he goes off on his own and he prays. And it says in that passage that he was overwhelmed with sorrow. Not a little sorrow, not he's sad, not he's, he's kind of down in the spirits. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point to where he's actually sweating blood. Severe stress on his body from the sorrow he's facing. And he cries out in that garden, Father, if there's any way to save them besides the cross, please let that be the way. If there's any way other than this, let that be the way. 
And he gets up and he goes back and he finds his friends are all asleep. They've fallen asleep praying for him. So he wakes them up. He's like, please pray for me. Wiping sweat of blood off his head. Please pray for me. And he goes back and he bends down and he's in overwhelmed with sorrow again. And he asks God again to lift this from him. And he comes back and he looks to his friends again and they're asleep again. And he wakes them again and he goes back again and he prays again, sweat of blood coming out of his head. And he says, Father, if there's any way, please lift this from me. But if there is no other way, your will be done. Right? It's a prayer of lament, a prayer of longing, a prayer of sorrow. Jesus, who had perfect faith and perfect obedience, was overwhelmed with sorrow. Right? It's not necessarily a lack of faith that causes us to be overwhelmed with sorrow. It's not always sin to be overwhelmed with sadness. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was himself. I think we can learn from him, and we can learn from the scriptures, his invitation of lament. In the scriptures, we see a pattern for lament. When you follow sermons on lament or texts on lament, there seems to be this pattern. That first, there's four stages of it. First, it, you turn to God, right? Lament is directed at God, not towards others. It's not complaining to other people. It's going to God with your problems. Lament turns towards God first. Secondly, lament complains to God. That's okay to do. It's safe to do. A third of the Psalms do that for us. They actually complain to God. We'll see that in the text we're about to look at. So they turn to God. They complain to God. Fourth, they plead with God. They presented a complaint, and now they're pleading. They're asking. They're saying, so do something about it. Do this about it. Maybe it's a specific thing. Maybe it's not a specific thing. They're just like, we need you. But there's a pleading. We're, we're desperate for you. I'm turning to you, I'm complaining to you, I'm pleading with you. And then the fourth stage is trusting God. Lament, biblical lament always leads to trust. It always leads to trust. Sometimes it takes a while, but it always leads to trust. So let's look at Psalm chapter 13. In the days following that conversation with Patrick, as I turned to this passage, know that as I began to read through this, I could not read. I mean, I read the whole thing, and then I didn't read the whole thing again for days. Like, I, I worked my way through it almost stage by stage, and I had no idea what stages of lament were. I didn't understand. I had never studied lament. I didn't understand it. I just, as I began to read this, I could only go line by line. Like, I had to pray my way, lament my way towards trust, which is at the end of the passage. I couldn't just jump there. Let me read the whole thing to you, and then we'll come back and look at it. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Verse three, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. 
but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. David begins as David often begins. I love reading the Psalms because in one moment, David's like, where in the world are you? And the next moment, he's like, hey, I see you. There you are. You're so good. Or some of the Psalms start the other way. You're so wonderful. You're so good. Thank you. Where'd you go? Right? So real life for us. And he begins here by saying, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide yourself from me? And as I began to work through this text, like, and I began to just go through and pray it, try to honestly pray it, not just read it, but to pray this as a song, as a, as a prayer of mine towards God, a prayer of lament. Like, I could only do this line for days because I honestly felt like he was hiding from me. Right? I felt like he had left me in my sorrow, left me in my anxiety, left me in my depression. He had forgotten about me. He had ignored me. Maybe I was finally too much for him. Maybe he was finally with me like I am with my children sometimes when I'm tired, and it's just like, I've tried to be patient, but I just can't do this anymore. And that's what I felt like my father, my heavenly father was doing to me, and it just was a prayer of how long, how long are you going to leave me here? Are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And he says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Are you hearing his complaint? So he turns to the Lord, stage one. How long, O Lord? Question mark. That's his turning to the Lord. And then he goes into his complaints. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And guys, sometimes when we come to the Lord with like complaints, sometimes we have specific things that we realize we're complaining about, right? How long will you allow this specific thing to continue on? And sometimes we come to him with complaints and we don't even know what we're complaining about yet. We just know we got problems. I just know there's something between me and you, God, that I'm not okay with it's something in my life that I'm not okay with, and I'm going to complain until I figure out what I'm actually complaining about. Right? It's what we do as children to our parents a lot. We come to our parents complaining about something that's not actually even the issue. And so I came in, I didn't even know. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm complaining about other than the fact that I feel no joy in my life. I feel sorrow all the time. I feel angry. I don't know what I'm feeling. Like, I can stand and I can, like, be kind to people, but inside, my heart's just angry at life in general. No body in particular, just life in general. I'm just mad at life, mad at suffering. I'm mad at hardships. I'm mad at struggles. I'm mad that it takes so long for healing when there's been pain. I'm, I'm, and I just started complaining. And I started learning as I was complaining more and more about my complaints to him. And you know, in the midst of my complaining to him, there was never a moment that I actually thought that he was pushing me away. 
In fact, I almost longed for him to push me away. He goes to stage three in verse three. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I mean, he goes, answer me. I'm demanding an answer from you, God. Stop being silent. Stop hiding your face from me. Where are you? And give me an answer. I need it. The psalmist talked boldly to God. He's not afraid to. Sometimes we feel fear that we can't come to him in honesty and in boldness. The scriptures actually tell us to come boldly to his throne, right? Because you're accepted there by the blood of Christ. You're accepted as his child. You can come boldly, and boldly doesn't just mean I know I'm going to be accepted and I get to come in with like bold praise. It also means I can come in with bold sorrow and complaints. I can come in and I can raise my voice and I can raise my fist and I can even challenge him. I mean, Moses does this all the time. He challenges what God was doing and saying. And so I I was more honest with him than I'd ever been with a person. I used language with him that I would never use with a person. I was almost daring him to be done with me. If I can tick him off enough, maybe he'll just strike me dead and I won't have to worry about this. And bringing those complaints and that honesty to him. saying, you have to answer me. And then look at this phrase, second part of verse three. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What a phrase. God, if you don't put life in me, I feel like I'm withering away quickly. If you don't do something, I feel like I have nothing left. I don't have the strength. I don't have the desire. I don't have the will. I feel like I want to die. I feel like I am dying. I need you to give life to me. Put light back into my eyes. Put life into my soul. And for days, this became my prayer. I skipped the first part. But at this point, I, got, I was past that. Like, where are you? I've been mad. And then I got to this point where my prayer just became, God, I need you to, give, to, to do something. I need you to do something. I need you to do something. I'm dying inside. Like, I felt like I was spiritually shriveling up. And through the midst of this, I was honest with our elders. I was walking through every step of this with them. Through the midst of this, I was honest with my counselor. Through the midst of this, I was honest with um, six men across the country who walk with me in deep things. Like, there were people who knew the details of this and were walking with me in this. I mean, I would message the elders on Slack and be like, man, I, and just kind of go into what I was feeling towards it. And they would just respond with such grace and kindness and space for my lament. I needed him to give me something. To put life in me. And then he gets to verse five. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is where he transitions to stage four. If you remember, stage four is trust. We turn, 
we complain, we plead, and we trust. And in stage four here in verse five, he begins to express his trust. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I mean, notice he goes, in the past I've trusted. I will continue to sing. I will continue to praise you for you have historically been good to me. But when I read through this and began to pray it, the beginning of verse five wasn't, it wasn't a verse of trust to me. It was further complaint. And it began to pull out of me what was going on. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And my prayer was, yeah, I have. And this is what you give me? I have trusted in your steadfast love and my wife suffers this way and my daughter suffers this way and my son suffers this way and I've lost this many people in this way. I've trusted you and this is the crap I get back from it? Because logically, I know, like, I can theologically, logically talk you around all the wrongness of that thought. But my heart felt something I couldn't cover up. And I remember praying, I have trusted in your steadfast love and you've screwed me. I want nothing to do with you. If this is what I get, I want nothing to do with you. And that sat there for a couple days. Pain, anguish, sorrow, fear. And in the midst of it, the whole time, like, I couldn't leave Christ because I know the gospel here, right? Like, like, I know it, I believe it, I couldn't leave it. And I also couldn't leave it because every time I flailed and kicked and screamed and tried to get away, it was like he just went and pulled me back in for a hug. And I'd kick and scream and flail and he'd give me a little space and then he'd pull me back in for a hug. He affectionately would not allow me to leave him. So there was a Saturday night. I was preaching the next day. I didn't want to preach. Most of the time I want to preach. This time I did not want to preach. Because why would I want to preach about the God who screwed me? One of the elders called that out in me that day when I was like, man, I just, he's like, how are you feeling about preaching tomorrow? I was like, I don't want to. He's like, it's kind of hard to stand and preach about a God that you're angry with today, isn't it? I said, yeah. So it's 10.30 on a Saturday night. I'm in the bathtub with all the lights off. The family's asleep. I needed silence. I needed solitude. I wanted no light in my life. I just kept all the lights off, went in the dark bathroom, and just sat in the tub, and I just prayed through Psalm 13 over and over again. I remember the prayer being, I have trusted you, and I feel like you've wronged me. You have to give light to my eyes. I've trusted you. I feel like you've wronged me. You have to give light to my eyes. It was there in the dark by myself in that tub that he gave light to my eyes. That the end of this passage, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me, became real. Because I had read ahead, I knew that was there, and I told him, no, you haven't. 
he began to overwhelm my heart with all of his bountiful grace he's given me over and over and over and over again in life in so many ways. And he began to overwhelm me in verse five with rejoicing in my salvation. That if the suffering of life continues till the day I die, I have salvation and there will be a day of no more suffering. The suffering is not eternal. Christ is. There will be a day, all the suffering and all the hardship and all the sorrow and all the doubt and all the fear and the anxiety and the depression, there'll be a day, all of it's gone. He's told us that. He's promised that. In Revelation 21, it's all gone. There'll be a day of newness, of peace, perpetual joy in all things at all times. And he began to overwhelm me with his salvation and with his steadfast goodness. I remember going to bed that night. Tish and Asa are asleep. I wanted to tell somebody. I had no one to tell, so I just went to sleep. I wanted to tell someone about his goodness, so the next morning I just came and I preached. I remember someone in the lobby told me after the service, he said, Josh, I don't know what happened, but today felt like a different church. Everyone's in the lobby around us. I'm not going to be like, well, let me tell you what happened in the bathtub last night. (laughs) But the Lord began to do a work in the heart through lament that leads to trust. It's a beautiful gift that he gives us as his children to say, you can come to me at any time in any way and make any complaint, share any sorrow, any brokenness, any fear, and we'll walk with you through it. Psalms are full of these prayers. A third of the Psalms are laments. Like you can go to the Psalms, you can Google Psalm of Lament, find one, go and make it your prayer. Make it your prayer for the sorrow in your life. Make it the prayer for the doubt in your life, for the trouble that's going on there, for the relational issues that are there, for the depression, for the anxiety, for the fears that you have. Make the Psalms your lament. The Lord invites you to come and to bring them to him in honesty. He'll walk with you through them. I believe that if you'll come through scripture and lament, if you'll come in honesty through lament, that it will lead to trust eventually. It takes a while sometimes. My process was about a five-week process. But it leads to trust eventually. I encourage you to use the Psalms, especially with your new to lament, to, to ground your prayers and your complaints in Scripture as well. Allow the Scripture to be your words of complaining. Right? Add some of your own flavor to it, your own voice to it, but let the scriptures bring you back and ground you of, no, this, is, this is the journey, these are the stages, I'm going to turn, I'm going to complain, I'm going to plead, I'm going to trust. And don't be afraid of your father rejecting you. He won't. I preached to a group of pastors and church planters a few weeks ago in St. Louis. They asked me to speak on endurance and ministry. <laughs> I chuckled um, because so often I... I've not wanted to endure, but I do now. And so when I taught, I taught on the, what I would call the two, two pavements, the two stones on the road of endurance, being relationship and lament. 
people who walk with you honestly, like Patrick and our elders and my friends and my therapist and my wife did. And then the freedom to bring lament to the Father. So doesn't it take faith to endure? Yep, it does. Kind of picture faith as the car rolling down the road, paved by lament and by relationship. Those things spur your faith on. It's the point of lament. To take your sorrow and turn it to faith. So wherever you're at with whatever sorrow you have today, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a place to bring it. And you can lay it at your Father's feet. and He'll care for you there. He's good. He's kind. He's welcoming. Come to him and lament and have your faith strengthened. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the freedom to come to you in our sadness and our brokenness. Because, Father, this world is full of it. And so I pray that you would give your children in this room freedom to come to you in honesty and be strengthened. I thank you that you accept us and that you welcome us with our words and with our fears and with our complaints. And I thank you that you have dealt bountifully with us. In thousands of ways we never pay attention to, you've been so good to us. Would you draw our hearts through lament? Would you draw our minds and our hearts and our eyes back to recognizing your bountiful goodness to us so that it might give us strength and endurance for the suffering of tomorrow? I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.